For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Looking to throw over the middle and into the end zone. Touchdown, Arizona State. We support each other's uh, teams the rest of the year, but during this game, all bets are off. That was all Keaton Slovis. Wow, what a play by him. One man to beat 15-10-5. Touchdown, a new NCAA record. Washington State has found a way to move the ball. It's incredible what we're seeing here in Pullman tonight. Touchdown, Oregon. They fake the handoff. Justin Herbert delivers a dart. I went to HR several times uh, about how the Duck fans treat me. Touchdown, Utah. I mean, this is the Pac-12 we're talking about. Another week of Pac-12 football has come and gone, and that means it's time to break it all down. Welcome, everybody, to Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network, along with ESPNU on SiriusXM College Football Analyst Ryan Leaf. My name is Jonathan Rifkin. A pleasure to have you listening, no matter how you're listening or where you're listening. All of us here at Believe appreciate you making us a part of your podcast listening plan. Please hit that rate, review, and subscribe button as all of our shows um, are on all listening platforms. Kevin Agandi from ESPN, one of the ESPN's finest, is going to join us later in the show. He's going to chat with us about the National College Football Slate, the National College Football Playoff Conversation, as well as the Pac-12. Maybe a little bit of Philadelphia 76ers talk as well. But until that interview, Ryan, the first full slate of Pac-12 football this past weekend of the season. And uh, <laughs> I can't say that it wasn't exciting for better or for worse. But I did wake up with a massive headache on Sunday morning. And when I thought back to why, it was from all the stress that my organ dust caused me. Um, I climbed the hill. I fell on my ass. And I think I'm going to go find a new hill to try and climb from now on because it just ain't working. It ain't working up in Eugene right now. Well, it's not, they're not getting it done. You know, Cal, Cal has, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal's, Mario Cristobal's number. And, uh, um, it's just a lot of points. You know, you and I have been doing some fun things uh, going against the spread and it's a different, you know, theology when you're, when you're working with those kind of, kind of things. And that, that's just a lot of points. It's just been a lot of points for them. Uh, the last, you know, four weeks, I, I didn't think they were going to be able to do it against Washington state. And they, and they barely got through on that end of things too. That's just a lot of points. Uh, the fact that they've lost the last two games has been surprising. And uh, so I understand where you're coming from, but uh but the man over here went six and zero this week uh, and won every single game against the spread. Felt pretty good about it. Um, it. USC last night was impressive. Unfortunately, it was against my alma mater, the Washington State Cougars. But I mean, there was a moment there. If they don't call off the dogs, I thought that game was going to be seventy to nothing. I really did, and uh, it. It may have ne- it may have needed to be for USC uh, to to actually get the the calls from the committee uh, tomorrow night. We'll find out. You know, the committee tells us every week that they tear up the the rankings. They don't their the rankings don't exist from the week before. They tear them up. They do them again. And if that's the case, 
USC could very well be and find themselves uh, in a much higher slight spot um, trying to compete against the likes of Ohio State for that fourth and final spot in the playoff. Yeah, the national conversation surrounding the Trojans this past week was, oh, three unconvincing wins. Well, the national conversation now with the 4-0 Trojans is, wow, this team should be considered they should expand the playoff because USC could run with Ohio State. I'm not sure if I would go that far, but 28 points in the first half um, really spoke volumes to where this team is right now, especially after having a week off because so far the teams that have had that time off consistently Utah, UCLA earlier in the season, Washington State, they've looked out pretty slow out of the gates. Washington ended up being another team that looked slow out of the gates. And USC didn't miss a heartbeat uh, in that first quarter when they basically tapped the game in the first 15 minutes. Let's re- rewind here to the first few games back on Saturday. You said that Stanford uh, was probably going to win this game. And you were right. Again, Washington, three points at halftime. They're down 24 to three. And then Dylan Morris does what he's been doing the last two or three weeks, going on a tear, making things interesting. But you just, I don't, I just don't think that there's enough juice left in the tank once you get to the fourth quarter to be able to score another touchdown after you get the third, the 23 points between the third and the fourth. It proved to be true. Uh, and Stanford now at two and two after a, a very nice win up in Seattle. No, it's huge. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation around. Stanford and their ability to, to refocus after being kicked out, kicked out on their own by the County of Santa Clara. But I, I, I've always believed this when you, when you take a group of young men with a, a focused and solid leader and head coach, David Shaw, and make them focus solely on football, right? It was all about football now, no matter where they go, what they do in hotels, practicing in, 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 in parks, whatever, uh, it was about football, and there's a focused intensity that 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 goes to that. And you saw it uh, in that first half, and how they finished Washington, and were more physical, more detail oriented. Uh, they were the better team by far. Davis Mills looked like the Davis Mills we were we were hoping we'd get before the year started. And and Stanford Stanford's gonna gonna be a problem next year for a lot of people um, uh, if they continue to make the strides like this. They were running the eye, and you don't really see the eye anymore in the Pac-12. And it was giving Washington – I mean, that front seven looked lost in that first half. They were getting absolutely hammered on those power runs um, out of the backfield for by Austin Jones, who had a phenomenal day uh, with those two touchdowns and a buck 38 on the ground for Stanford. Um, it's going to hurt – I mean, the, everybody thought the North was, the, was the, uh, the conference division to beat this year, but it looks like it's really the South. UCLA looking really good. USC's dominant. Uh, and Colorado, I mean – you, you hold that Colorado is the best team in the conference. And right now, uh, I don't think there's any evidence to dispute that. Yeah, they looked a little bit slow in that first quarter against Arizona, but all of a sudden they turned it on in the second. And, and from then on, they never looked back. Yeah, Colorado is, is a special team. To do what they've been able to do with getting another new head coach and uh, Carl Durrell about three weeks before all this hit, uh, the continuity with Darren Cheverini, I think, was huge. Offensively, Sam Neuer being able to step in and their ability to run the ball. Uh, uh, Broussard has been been unbelievable. 300-plus yards rushing against Arizona. Now, Arizona is Arizona, right? They're, they're most likely going to go winless this year, uh, which will be 12 or 13 consecutive losses in, in the Pac-12. Uh, so it's it's not, not overwhelming. Um, USC barely got by Arizona. You know, Colorado gets by Arizona. You know, Arizona, they're plucky. They still fight. 
Uh, Kevin Sumlin's got his guys fighting with the, with their backup quarterback and plumber. So um, I liked what I saw. Unfortunately, and we're you know this is something we're going to have to discuss. The Pac-12, I believe, has stated that even if we have two undefeated uh, South teams, that uh, they will not play for the Pac-12 championship, but rather the North Division champion who can have you know, one loss or two losses, to be honest, uh, in, in this process. So uh, that's unfortunate. It's uh, rather short-sighted, but fits in perfectly with how the Pac-12 has chosen to deal with things. Uh, I think the best way to go about it this week to have a real uh, South champ, too, would be to uh, reschedule and allow for Colorado and USC to play this week the winner playing for the championship, the loser gets their rivalry game. So if UFC were, USC were to lose, uh, they would play UCLA in that championship round of games, uh, vice versa for Colorado and Utah. So uh, let, let's, let's hope that the PAC 12 shows some foresight doesn't seem to be that way. Uh, and unfortunately we're, we're probably going to get a game that doesn't benefit the ultimate champion of the conference. Now, if you had a Colorado and USC team at the very end that were both ranked in the top 15, which I have them right now, that would be a much better win for the committee going into the final weekend uh, and determining the college football playoff than it would be to play a unranked Washington, Oregon football team. It just, it doesn't benefit that. So again, the PAC 12 kind of PAC 12 in themselves in this moment. Yeah. I mean, it's not a surprise and it starts at the top protect your investments. That's the thing is that I think, you have to make an attempt to resolve the South, no matter what it doesn't, you're not going to, you're going to make fan bases unhappy no matter what, but you're going to make everybody unhappy. If you decide just to pick a winner, put them into the South championship against that North team and move on. It makes, it doesn't like at least make an attempt to resolve the problem. Right. And I don't think, I think you're right. I don't think the Pac-12 will because we've learned time and time again, that this conference doesn't really make attempts to solve problems. It sort of let problems persist. And it's not productive. And it goes again with how do you fix the perception of the conference? Well, go make better decisions. And right now the decision-making is, is what's really hurting some of these teams. And to your point, I mean, does, is it, would it really hurt with all these bowl games canceled, by the way, the PAC 12 currently, I think only has one bowl game left. The LA bowl got canceled today. So I think that's now six bowl games, uh, five bowl games for PAC 12 eligible teams. Um, it doesn't, why not just push it back a week and let us and Colorado play? Cause you're not, you're not in hindering any of the team's opportunities with these bowl games. Cause right now there are no bowl games for these teams to go and play anyways. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and you're not rewarding, like you said, a Colorado team that has just been fantastic. Jack Broussard, I think he's, he's the third national leading rusher right now. And by the way, just a, a point of fact, um, Akron won its first football game this year in, in like 400 and something days. Uh, this past week, which means that Arizona now is the uh, is holding up the bottom of the winless program um, in the National College Football Slate. Another team that has disappointed the conference, Oregon, losing twenty one to seventeen against Cal. Justin Wilcox, we talked about it last Thursday. Ryan always or Friday always has Mario Cristobal's number. Cristobal sometimes eats out ahead and squeaks by with a victory, but not this week. Oregon, it was a tale of two halves. Defense was very lackluster, played flat in the first half. And it was the opposite in the second. It was the offense that didn't reward what ended up being very good defense. I mean, seven, 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 zero. That was the quarter breakdown in scoring for Cal. And yet 
Oregon couldn't do anything to respond. Um, and everybody's now all of a sudden, all the Oregon fans are, are doing Oregon fans, you freaking out, calling for Andy Avalos to said, questioning Joe Moorhead's play, calling, wondering if Mario Cristobal's job is safe. It's a whole, it's a bunch of BS at this point because that's just what happens in Eugene. But, um, regardless, a great win for Cal, who, by the way, the longest play of the season, I was 19 yards. Good for them. Oregon fans better be careful. Mario Cristobal is a godsend for you and what you want to get to. And if you want to be this petulant child as a fan and put him off his spot at all, apparently from our national friends who cover the national landscape of college football have stated that both Michigan and Texas, Mario Cristobal is on their radar and it's somebody who they want. If that's the case, you better not be doing or saying something right now that would make him feel unwanted in Eugene because he is the right guy for the job. And they are young. They are going to flourish. They just haven't got it done this year. Like a lot of teams haven't got it done this year. The two names that people talk about, by the way, for those two jobs are James Franklin and Mario Cristobal, who I would dare to say have underachieved this year greatly in terms of the public perception. And those are the names, because guess what? People who are in the know know those two can coach and they're special. Cal, Justin Wilcox, he's another guy who can coach. And he's got a group of guys that play hard. And Coin Dang did something special on Saturday afternoon. His ability to make plays as a 6'6 middle linebacker, it's crazy. It's like a throwback to the Erlacher days playing middle linebacker in the middle of the field. And he's the one that makes the play there when Oregon's driving to, to, to seal that football game. And uh, just really proud of, of their uh, ability to deal with adversity and get over the top and get a win. Uh, they'll be heading home uh, and they'll get a chance at Washington State who's going to be licking their, licking their wounds after this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Cal just looks more cerebral week by week. The defense locked down, like you said, and when you have a linebacker who is menacing and against an Oregon front, uh, Oregon offensive line who looks a little bit scared because they're, they're a bunch of freshmen who are replacing five big pieces, you're probably going to have some problems offensively, and that's exactly what was exposed uh, by Cal's front seven this past week. And Shuck, I mean, his decision-making was questionable. But look, it's a young guy, redshirt freshman, uh, you know, coming up in a new system, he's allowed to make mistakes. And this was this mistake this week, excuse me, was one of those weeks where he just made some consistent mistakes. And I think that's okay. I don't think that everybody now all of a sudden is saying Anthony Brown or um, or uh, the well, who was his name Butterfield, Jay Butterfield should all of a sudden be starting for this team. I so gross overreaction. So I'm with you, Ryan. Um, and and well, I wouldn't. I, I agree with you, but it wouldn't hurt for those guys to get some. This this season doesn't count. It's a developmental year. So if, if you want uh, versus Washington, very against good competition, you want to get some other guys, some, some, some run, go ahead. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, question anybody's decision-making this year in terms of playing personnel because utilize it. They don't count. It doesn't count at all towards their eligibility. They can come back next year. You need to know who your guys are because next year, if you follow it up with the, uh, a mediocre or lower than uh, wanted expectations type of season, then, then you can start asking questions. But so I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I love Tyler Shuck and I think he should be the starting quarterback, but I also wouldn't fault 
uh, Mario Cristobal and that offensive think tank of theirs, uh, what they need to know what they have. Did you ever run the, I know that you, you guys throw the ball to Washington state, but did you ever run the RPO at all when you were there? Because to me, Tyler Shuck relied on the RPO way too heavily. And he decided just to run the ball in situations where I think he should have pulled back. And, and that's not a system that we've been accustomed to seeing at Oregon. Um, what is your take on the RPO? Is it effective if you utilize correctly, or is that something that quarterbacks may rely on too heavily when they're feeling a little bit of pressure in the pocket? Well, I think it, it puts the defense in, in a very difficult position. So if you can utilize it, if you have the players to do it and a quarterback that can, then that can honestly read it right. I think it's a, a dangerous uh, weapon for you as an offense. So um, it takes time, you know, don't forget. He just, he's learning a whole new offense. Why, when he got there, he was under Marcus Arroyo and Justin Herbert's offense for the entirety of his stay at Oregon up to this point. And that's why everybody thought Tyler Shuck was going to be the guy this year because of what he was able to accomplish in that. I remember when I called the spring game for the Pac-12 network a few years back, Herbert actually didn't look like the starter. He, he, he struggled a little bit. Tyler Shuck looked like the best, and he was a freshman. And I remember talking to my co-host that day uh, thinking, you know, what, who, who was a starter that we saw today? And uh, that's why they loved him so much. Like I said, he had to learn everything through virtual learning this year. No practice time, get out on the field. He's, he's taken his lumps. Uh, he's gotten, I, I feel like he's gotten more things under, their, under his belt, but teams have got data and film on it now, right? So they're preparing for it differently. They're throwing him some, some change-ups that are making things difficult for him to make choices. And that's just how it is. Uh, when you when you get your first few starts in the Pac-12, that's all. Yeah, cut, shuck some stock. Now, Oregon does have a five-star quarterback, Ty Thompson, coming in next year, third-ranked pro-style quarterback in the nation. We'll see if he's even in the running uh, come the beginning of next year. Let's move on here to Utah, Oregon State. Oregon State doing what it does, making things interesting in the fourth quarter. Jonathan Smith calling out the audible, getting the onside kick. They just couldn't finish the game. Chance Nolan, though, looks – Pretty good for all intents and purposes as that, uh, as that true freshman coming in for an injured Tristan Jebbia. Um, a good win for Utah. Didn't look great in that second half defensively in Oregon State. Uh, you know, they, they took advantage. Oregon State's going to be, I know they were out with Jamar, excuse me, they were without Jamar Jefferson as well. Their star running back, who I think is a difference maker for this team, really opens up your offense if you have him. This Oregon State team's going to be a competitive, is, is already, but even more so a competitive team you know, come day one next year, right? Because what, what they have going on there with um, with Jonathan Smith and just the way that they're reworking their offense and their defense hasn't been too bad either. I really do think that there's something brewing out there in Corvallis. Well, I, I think we've known that for a while now. You know, even after the loss, I still have them as my fourth uh, place team in, in terms of the power rankings this week. I, Jamar Jefferson is a difference maker and he couldn't go. And this team, if it weren't for for uh, just a kind of a boneheaded mistake by that quarterback uh, may have won this game 31 to 30 because they ran a zone read on fourth down late in the game. And normally you put your quarterback in the position to read the defensive end there and all intents and purposes, purposes, he pulls that ball. uh, He may score, but I'm assuming and I'm assuming this, and, and, and I'd have to get clarification from Jonathan Smith, of course, but a lot of times when you have a young quarterback, a play, play call like that is called in, uh, it, it's an automatic give or it's an automatic pull. Either way, the quarterback is just doing his job or 
you know, the big moment overtook him a little bit and he just, he went with what he thought was the best option and that was to run the football. Unfortunately for Oregon state, they just weren't able to get it done late in the game. Uh, Utah once again in the second half got really conservative like they did the week ago against Washington and, you know, had to kind of stumble their way into a victory this time. But luckily for Kyle Whittingham and that team, they did get it done and they have a win on their record now uh, before the Colorado game this week. Utah one and two, Oregon State two and three, a team that, uh, like, again, putting that team out of Corvallis on notice, not just here on the podcast, but hopefully they're getting some recognition elsewhere as well outside of the Pac-12. All right, the final game to cover, UCLA and Arizona State. This was a game that you and I said UCLA was probably going to win. Um, we felt good about it. Three and two, the first time, the first time in Chip Kelly's UCLA career that he's above 500, folks. I am not kidding. Um, and, and right now they're looking competitive. They're looking composed on offense. Um, and yes, Mitrick Felton, limited playing time, sounded like he was going to play for the full game, as Chip Kelly told the media prior to the game. Uh, I think he's playing injured. Don't want to speculate too much. But regardless, they got it done now. It was in the second quarter where they scored the bulk of their points, the 17 points. But the defense, the defense is great on the lines. Um, they, they pressured Jaden Daniels, made some, you know, sophomore mistakes and walked away with a 25 to 18 win. Was this more of a testament to how good UCLA is or just the young and rusty or Arizona state team that hasn't played in a month? Well, I, you know, UCLA was able to get it done with DTR coming back. You know, that's always, a, you know, change up, right? You played two games back to back with, with, with Griffin and quarterback, and then you go back to DTR and uh, he made some mistakes. Um, I, I didn't feel like UCLA played their best game. Unfortunately, for Herm Edwards and Arizona State, they continue to make a lot of mistakes. They are young, uh, but they make a ton of mistakes, and it's what cost them. It really did. They fumbled down in the red zone when they were going in. Uh, big moments late in the game. Jaden Daniels kind of seems lost in the two-minute drill uh, when it when when the pressure's on. So it's only the second game. Uh, they are going to be they're going to be really really young. Um, but it's important for them to get better. So they have to utilize these final two games uh, to try to use as much developmental time as they can, because like our friend, Kevin Nagati is going to tell us a little later, uh, Arizona state's a team that people are, are looking at are watching because of what Herm Edwards has put in place there. But right now they just, they seem a little lost and you can understand that having to start the season, stop it and start it right. Start it back up again and not having that continuity together as of yet. It's not easy. And with a bunch of young minds, like you said, on the football field, it takes time to develop it. And this was only the second game. That's the thing, right? Yeah, we're in week five of the conference. This was only Arizona State's second game. So uh, what we saw on the field, I don't think will be reflective of what we're going to see out of Tempe uh, towards the end of this season, but really come next season. That's the ultimate evaluator. Um, but I do think that the South, the South itself is setting itself up to be really a competitive part of this conference starting next year. I mean, UCLA, Colorado, Arizona State, uh, and USC are really giving. And I mean, look, Utah, Utah doesn't look too bad either, but they have some, some work to do uh, if they really want to get back into the conversation of competitiveness in this conference. Ryan, before we get to Kevin, uh, let's, let's talk about the national college slate here. Okay, so USC wins convincingly. Now they're the only team realistically who has a shot out of this conference. Now Colorado can go undefeated. doesn't matter. I don't think that they'll have, have the credibility, um, nor I think the committee's even giving them a second look. 
to get into the college football playoff. But for USC, a lot, I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot needs to happen. How much hope should any of these fans have that USC even gets a remote chance of getting into that college football playoff? Again, keeping in mind, as you and I have discussed, the college football playoff shouldn't always be end-all, be-all. It's about progression. It's about finding the positives and capitalizing where and when you can. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, optimism-wise, 0.00001%, I would say. Um, uh, that We'll see what the committee does tomorrow night in terms of where they place USC. Uh, that will be important. I have them at 11 this week. Um, I, I suspect the committee will have them, you know, near there. We'll see. It, they had they had the committee's eyes all to themselves because guess what? They were all sitting in that room on Sunday going over rankings. They probably threw that game on and got a lot. Uh, got a lot from uh, not only the offense, but the defense. The defense looked like a Pete Carroll kind of defense running around out there, making plays, getting turnovers, giving uh, the explosive offense opportunities to score points. Uh, for a while there, Amon Ross St. Brown had four catches for four touchdowns. And uh, that's, a, that's a pretty darn good stat line. So We'll see what they do. Um, I don't think anybody's going to budge from the Ohio State point of view. Um, they've made that very clear. If Ohio State are, are able to play Michigan this weekend, that for a lot of people uh, in the committee room is going to be the, you know, it's going to get them over the top. Uh, and if they get a seventh win over a North, Northwestern team in the Big Ten title game, uh, they're in for sure. Then it comes down to whether or not you put in a, you know, a one loss Texas A&M team if Clemson loses or a, uh, you know, or a, a one loss Notre Dame team if Notre Dame were to lose. That's the question ultimately at that point. And uh, USC will be sitting on the outside uh, as well as Colorado looking at another college football playoff scenario where the Pac-12 isn't involved. Folks, the season isn't supposed to be easy. Just remember that this is the most uneven playing field that we have here in the Pac-12 ever been faced. Uh, both perceptively, but also with the play on the field. And it hasn't gotten easier with the way the North has looked because the USC or Colorado is going to be facing an unranked team out of the North this year. And it makes it very hard to justify with your strength of schedule being able to get in compared to some of the other blue bloods who have been facing better competition uh, within their conferences. All right, that wraps it up with our segment, ESPN uh, college football analyst Kevin Agandi will join us, chat about college football playoff slate, national college football playoff perception on the Pac-12, and we'll also throw a little bit of Philadelphia 76ers back, basketball in there as well for good measure. Stick with us, Kevin Nagandi, with us here next on Believe in the Pac-12. Uh, Three, two, one. Now joining us here on Believe in the Pac-12, ESPN Sports Center host and college football on ABC analyst Kevin Nagandi. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the podcast. Jonathan Ryan, great to be with you guys. Well, hey, buddy, it's good to see you. Uh, I'm happy that uh, we've gotten a college football season, so I can see your 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 ugly mug on TV with Sanchez <laughs> every week. But um, the national conversation around the Pac-12, and Jonathan and I have had this this conversation before, is you know. What is the committee honestly going to do? Are they going to allow a team in with six games? Uh, are they going to set a unrealistic precedent that says, hey, this is, a, this is a year where we have to make the best of what we got, and we just think a 6-0 uh, a and Ohio State team is better, and that's why they get in over a 9-1 and or a 
a 10 and one um, non-conference champion. So what do you think is going to play out and how do you think the rest of the rest of us are going to, are, are going to accept what they come with when the final four is released? You know, Ryan, like it, it feels like the committee's already giving us a message, right? The last two weeks, um, just how they viewed, um, you know, and they were right about BYU, but just how they viewed BYU, even though BYU had a ton of games, it feels like this is a six-team race for four spots. And I'm sorry, uh, because I think Cincinnati deserves to be considered, but how how it's viewed right now, Cincinnati's on the outside, that seventh team. And, and I'm just going, not my opinion, but by what we're seeing from what the committee is. So six spots, I should say four spots and six teams with AM and Florida on the outside waiting, right? And the way that the way that Barry Alvarez, who's got a, a strong voice inside the Big Ten, the way he brought it up last week that, hey, listen, Ohio State's in the top four. We made these rules at the beginning of the season that you need to play a minimum amount of games to qualify. And we will adjust. We will, we will, it, it felt like it felt like he was giving us the hints that what's going to happen if Ohio State doesn't get the chance to play Michigan this weekend, right? Um, and if they don't get a scheduled game, they'll find a way to get Ohio State in the conversation to play a Big Ten championship game. And as a result, you know, if Ohio State handles their business, I, you know, we were playing some scenarios out. The only real chaos you could have would be – this would be just, just – you know, hear me out here. This would be Florida beating Alabama on in the SEC championship, so Florida gets in, right? Clemson beating Notre Dame in the ACC championship, so Clemson gets in. And then you've got two spots left, and they're going to have to decide between Alabama, Notre Dame, and Ohio State. Three blue bloods, and now you've got to have two spots while A&M's on the outside. I've been saying that to a lot of people when when I, when they were talking about Ohio State. I said, "What you need is you need chalk to fly here. You 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 need at least one of those teams like Alabama or Notre Dame to win because if you're sitting there against a one-loss Notre Dame team or a one-loss Alabama team, the way the committee has said this is this is what it is, you know that may be the only time you only playing six or seven games gets you left out." Yeah, and you know, Ryan's a great point. Uh, the one thing we'll have to see is how much the committee uses this as a data point. You won your conference championship yeah. game, right? And and I find that fascinating because then does that mean Ohio State gets in and now the committee is looking at Alabama and Notre Dame as of this taping, which are one and two fighting to get in on that fourth spot, which is nuts to me. It, 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 and it's fascinating, and, and I think it's the perfect chaos that we can have to finish a 2020 season where everything and anything uh, can happen as, as possibly happened. But we, should all, we, we could also have chalk here. And if we do have chalk, um, that, that, that eliminates Clemson. That eliminates the conversation with Florida. And, and then things get a little more clear. I think, though, with your eye test and my eye test and Jonathan's eye test and whoever, whoever watched his college football, if you watch, the eye test shows me one thing, that to me, Alabama is the most complete team. Um, uh, they are the number one team in the country. But if Notre Dame does lose to Clemson, it's a close game. It's going to be really hard to say that Notre Dame doesn't get a chance to get back into this conversation as a top four inside the playoff. 
On a macro perspective here, Kevin, Ryan and I had debated last week, we've debated over the last few weeks about the whether or not it was productive to not expand the college football playoff this season. And obviously, the fan perspective now, the fans want to be selfish. They want their teams in. But is it really good for a team, an eight seed, to go and face an Alabama or Notre Dame in the college football playoff? Because to me, yes, yeah, selfishly, I want, as a Pac-12 fan, I want USC to get in the college football playoff. But I also don't want USC to get absolutely hammered on national television by one of these blue buds that's way at the top. For you, where do you stand on this conversation? Because, again, this is an outlier year. The, the playing field is so uneven, and I think it's hard for people to just accept that, you know, take the medicine and move on, which, you know, it's less fun that way. Um, but I still don't think it made a lot of – it would have made a lot of sense for them to have expanded the field of play just because of the circumstances from the season. Jonathan, I'm on the opposite. Uh, to, this is the year to expand, right? As we've seen in, in Major League Baseballs, uh, we're going to see in the NFL, as we saw in the NBA, like thinking outside the box uh, this year only, right, to see if it works. Now, I, I would love an 18 playoff regardless anyway. But the idea of having an 18 playoff, just listen to, to the concept of Cincinnati getting in and we get the chance to see them, right? But the one scenario that I would love if we had an 18 playoff to see is a two lost Oklahoma or a two lost Iowa state in the conversation, getting in back during as the eighth seed taking on Alabama uh, to me. Now, granted Alabama could have rolled and won this, you know, this matchup by three touchdowns. But to me, it would have been fascinating because I look at those two programs, Iowa state and, and Oklahoma, they're playing their best football right now. Now, granted, Oklahoma's streak of scoring over 28 points came to a close uh, because Baylor's defense and Dave Aranda. But still, Oklahoma's playing really good football. And Matt Campbell's Iowa State squad is really, really good right now. And I would have loved to have seen them in this, in this conversation in the category. I feel bad uh, the most – the team I feel bad for the most here in this whole thing is Cincinnati. Because I, I think when you look at Cincinnati's defense, you look at Desmond Ritter – uh, this would be the year that I, it would have felt cool to see the American get a shot because, you know, <laughs> UCF in the previous years could make a case uh, in this conversation. Uh, but Cincinnati right now, when you see the defensive side and how they are physical, they've got some dudes. They don't have the depth, but they've got some dudes in their 22. I love I would have loved to see them play in, in this category of an 18 playoff. I don't want to get too much into the minutiae around this college football playoff because I want to talk to you about the Pac-12 a little bit. But yeah, I, I've been arguing a lot with people uh, on different platforms around uh, setting a, a dangerous precedent um, by allowing a, a team in with only six games because of the eye test. And you, you can say it's it's this year and it's all we have, so we got to go with this to determine who, who the best is. And I said, well, if they're kind of telling us that, why would it stop up? you know, blue bloods from only playing six games a year, every year, if that's going to be the case. And in a year where everything is so unequal and ambiguous, even we're so far down the, the line right now, and we've seen teams schedule games in 48 hours. If mm -hmm. I'm the committee and I'm going to hammer them tomorrow night when I'm on ESPNU, if they don't contemplate this idea, you got to do it. There's just too much. USC could be a five or six and O team that is really peaking at the end and deserves a chance as a, as a conference champion uh, to, to get, to get a chance at that. And there's nothing that the committee cannot not do in this, in this moment, they can change it. People say, well, you don't want to play more games. It's one more game. 
It's one more game. That's it. And the Bulls, because all the Bulls are being thinned out so much because of yep. COVID, you have an opportunity to utilize those big games and make them into something bigger. How great would that be, too, right? That would be great. Uh, especially on, on New Year's Day. And, and as we're taping this, I, I think an 11th bowl game just got canceled. And, you know, you make an excellent point, Ryan, on the, on the concept of, all right, if you're going to give Ohio State some slack here, how about why not the Pac-12? And we, we saw from the jump at the first release that the Pac-12 was, was going to be playing uh, from behind no matter what the score was, right? And for Oregon to flop. And it really stinks because I feel like USC, after what they did yesterday, USC looked really good yesterday. Really like, good. You, you pause there and you're like, whoa, now the offense is clicking. And uh, yeah, and, and it's a credit to Colorado and Carl Durrell and what he's done. Uh, for him to come three weeks before COVID hits and now take over a program and what he's done with Neuer and Broussard, like, wow, right? And they should be celebrating. Unfortunately, um, for us, you know, as college football fans, we don't get that window is getting smaller and smaller. We won't get the chance to see USC play a few more games. Right. Um, and a Colorado to prove themselves. So it, it stinks for us. And you're right in, in that in that matter. Well, coming in. Did, did the committee already have an opinion of, of Ohio State because of their name and who was the quarterback? And that's yes. why they're just getting that that judgment in on Ohio State, even though. We had USC could match up right there offensively, right? And and then that's the one thing that I, I see where you're coming from, Ryan, because if you're going to say it's okay for Ohio State, how come it's not okay for the Pac-12 where they have two undefeated teams? And to that point here, what does the Pac-12 have to do? Because obviously the situation of society changed the, the course of the season. They had Oregon had Ohio State on the books. USC had Alabama. Oklahoma State was on the books for the conference. And the conference hasn't done much in the regular season over the last four years in terms of marquee wins. I think the most marquee win in that time span in the regular season was that Arizona State-Michigan State victory. Uh, obviously, bowl games tell a different story. But other than that, the conference hasn't played up to the credibility that it believes it deserves. This season is not the season it's going to get it. But, you know, if we get a semblance of normalcy next year, what needs to happen for this conference in terms of scheduling, in terms of play on, on the field, to finally get the recognition for some of these teams on the national level? You know, it's a great question, and I actually anticipate that um, I think USC, Oregon, and Arizona State, just off the top of my head, knowing and understanding their rosters right now as we, you know, as we talk about this in December and look, you know, towards the – hopefully a summer of, of peace and, and the pandemic being done. And then you start to set up that conversation, right? That, that build-up conversation. And Ryan understands, you know, behind the scenes, there is a build-up conversation when it comes to the, the media circuit and gaining the attention and the articles and the momentum push, right, into, hey, do you have a star player? You know, that's Jaden Daniels. Do you have a star player? That's Keaton Slovis. Do you have somebody where you can say, listen, Keep an eye on this team, and there's some preseason buzz heading in. I, I honestly think that plays a role if a team can hold up and still go undefeated, right? Um, coming in, what, what was the preseason buzz? It was Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, right? And, and then you get surprised because Ian Book plays well, and then you see how that, you know, how that thing plays out. Alabama's always going to have the preseason buzz, regardless of who's quarterback. They're going to have an even bigger one. Bryce Young's there and because of all the names and – uh, you know, DJ Uyunglele is going to have the name with Clemson. I actually think uh, that that 
SC will have that buzz if they can finish out strong. I think Arizona State will have that buzz because they'll be – I mean, they're super young. And Herm's building something special, and people are taking notice. The one thing that hurts Oregon this year is reputation, right? Like, they came in, and I think a lot of people thought, this is a good enough team to do something. Let's try, try and figure it out. And they haven't lived up to the expectations. They lost a lot of players, right? And um, it does not help when you get the national stage and you have it like – uh, you know, in prime time two weeks ago, Utah is a 21 nothing lead, and then they blow it to Washington, and then Washington loses this week, right? That that does not help the perception of the conference overall when they're trying to say, where can we grab onto one team and, and hold on to that? Because, it, like, perfect example, look at AC, the ACC. It, it was Clemson for multiple years and chaos everywhere else. Where's the team in, in this conference we can grab onto and hold onto and say, that's the difference maker that can carry people. And Oregon has to continue to do that. We're all waiting for USC to be back and do that. And I believe Arizona State's a year away from doing that. Yeah. I mean, there you go. I think those are the three uh, schools that we've been talking about consistently as, as sort of the, the top of the conference here moving forward. Really quickly here, I want to end this on, on, on this question here, Kevin, because we actually do have some national fans from Philadelphia, and basketball season starts really soon. The Sixers have had some management problems. Are Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers the answer for this team? God, I hope so, Jonathan. I hope so. <laughs> because if they're not, they're going to have to blow it up. And we've gone through some blowing up processes here as we trusted the process for years. Because honestly, they, I, I thought that this year was um, – the, the last couple of uh, weeks have, have kind of helped us digest what I think the Sixers fan base has gone through in the last year of can they figure it out? Can they figure it out? Do they have the right leadership? And it, it, to us, it's, hey, they're going to be patient for one more year to see if it can work with Doc as the head coach and Daryl as the guy moving the pieces um, with Simmons and Embiid. And I think they're, they're going to be open-minded because they see the talent that both of them have. I think the message to both of them was figure it out together. I, we, don't, we don't care. Just figure it out together because you don't want a position down the road where you look back and regret years later and say, man, they had the potential to be Penny and Shaq and Penny and Shaq couldn't get along, and then they broke it up. And I think that Embiid has that potential, and Simmons has that potential to have something dynamic. They've just got to honestly stop, stop assuming that you're the star walking in. You've got to lead now and be the difference. And I think Daryl will make sure he has the pieces around them. problem is, is that you, you have a great Nets team on paper. You have a hungry Heat team, and don't forget the superstar in Milwaukee who wants to win a championship after what happened in the bubble, and that is Giannis. So uh, the, the, the stuff's going to be really hard for the Sixers, but I think they have the right leadership right now to kind of figure it out together. I think we're going to let you. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Well, that's great. We're going to go let you lick your wounds a little bit uh, <laughs> with, with, with your Philadelphia sports teams this year. But uh, I want to say thanks, as always, man. It's good to see you. It's been a while. Keep, keep doing it. Keep killing it. And uh, we'll talk again soon, bud. Ryan, you're the best, man. Keep hitting them straight down the fairway. Jonathan, thank you. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time. We'll talk to you soon. That's our show. Big thanks to Kevin Nagandi from ESPN for taking the time to join us. A fantastic guest. Make sure to rewind if you missed any part of that interview or go back on Believe in the Pac-12 as we have had some other great guests. Greg McElroy a couple weeks ago. Matt Barry last week. Of course, Adam Wittenberg. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.